There's a whole study, it's published as The Thinking Person's Guide to Happiness. Prince Ghazi wrote the book. And in there he argues from a verse of the Quran where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about what a mu'min and a believer is going to receive in the hereafter. It's going to be endless giving from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ata'an ghayra majdhuz, as Allah says. It will be an ata'an ghayra majdhuz. It will be a continual, non-ending giving from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That non-ending giving from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to human beings, to the believers who go to paradise, uh, a lot of it is to do with you giving, with us giving. The more we give, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives to us. We want to secure that position because that's when we really want access to all of the luxuries. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillahi hamdan kathiran tayyiban mubarakan fih mubarakan alayh kama yuhibbu rabbuna wa yarda. Jalla jalaluhu wa amma nawaluhu wa salatu wa salamu ala sayyidil habibil mustafa sallallahu ta'ala alayhi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa baraka wa sallama tasliman kathiran ila yawmiddin amma ba'd. Qala Allahu ta'ala fi al-Qur'an al-Majid wa al-Furqan al-Hamid shahru ramadhan al-lazhi unzila fihi al-Qur'an wa qala ta'ala يا أيها الذين آمنوا كتب عليكم الصيام كما كتب على الذين من قبلكم لعلكم تتقون. Firstly, um, when I when we got this uh, when when we were contacted about this program, I was wondering what the name meant. The way it's the way it's spelt and the way some people pronounce it as well, it sounds like uh, Aliana, like some new exotic. Sister's name, woman's name, Aliana, like Ariana. The Afghanis have this name called Ariana, right? Aliana. Then I thought about it and I said, actually, it's actually Al-I'ana, right? That, that's right, right? Al-I'ana, which means to assist. I mean, I guess we're running out of names, right? We're running out of names because Alhamdulillah, there are multiple charities, right? And that's actually a good thing, inshallah, as long as, you know, we're not competing in the wrong way and we're competing in the right way. Which means that this is something that we need to compete in. So, mashallah, that's another charity because there's enough to go around. There's so many people around the world which need help and not every charity can get to everyone. Everybody has their own resources. And uh, mashallah, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepted, it's the first time I've heard it of it, but alhamdulillah it's good. Because 20 years ago, can anybody tell me how many dessert shops there were in Leicester? Just 20 years ago, how many dessert shops were there? One or none, right? If you're, if you're lucky, there was one I, in, in London, in our kind of East London, I just remember one. Right, possibly one, and I can't even remember if that was 20 years ago or 15 years ago. Now, every street has two or three. And it's no longer, uh, and it's, it's no longer dessert parlors. Uh, there's uh, chaiwalas and multiple iterations of that. So there's chaiwala, of course, and then there's multiple. I mean, I hope chaiwala is not here, right? <laughs> or even if you are here, it's okay. But what that shows, it shows us something. We have been in this country for how many years now? The Asian population, the Muslim population en masse. I mean, Muslims have been in this country for hundreds of years. But in terms of the en masse immigration, uh, lock, stock and barrel, then masjids and so on, about 60 to 70 years. End of the 1950s is when the first 
uh, people arrived and then the 1960s is when the mass immigrations were right our grandparents and maybe there's there are some grandparents here the first generation so I'm a second generation we have third generation and maybe even you know I don't know if there's any fourth generation people here right there may be right maybe younger children but for 30 40 years ago I'll give you an example of how it felt like I was in Athens just a few years ago I visited Athens whenever I go to any of these cities I like to try to find where the community is and where the masjids are and uh, in Athens uh, in the capital of Greece I found uh, one masjid they had Pakistanis there they were pretty much just waiting uh, to get into the rest of Europe London and uh, other places they didn't want to settle there because it's not a really uh, good you know it's not really a comfortable place to be for a lot of Muslims then there's the Bangladeshi community they seem to be they seem to be better settled there and then after that I, uh, most of these masjid interestingly I don't think I saw any proper masjid because there is an issue about having a formal masjid you know with uh, minarets and domes and things like that even the old Ottoman masjids uh, there's very few that are left the Parthenon uh, in Athens actually had a minaret on top of it because the Muslims the Ottomans they actually ruled Athens and much of Greece or probably all of Greece uh, for quite a long time you know a few hundred years ago but then it was taken over uh, taken back from them so uh, I went into one masjid many of the masjids are like rooms in basements right or something of that nature we went into the one Somali masjid and uh, they had a little program or something after the namaz and after the short program they were serving something right they were serving something you know what they served they served popcorn they served popcorn like just plain white salted popcorn not even buttery uh, special you know luxury popcorn this is just simple straight white popcorn and literally it reminded me about 30 40 years ago in the small masajid that we had they were just coming up uh, without any kind of proper plaster on the walls and now mashallah we're in a different level last ramadan and the ramadan before it i went to at least three masjids for iftari maghrib time and mashallah everybody was served ajwa that's the top of the dates everybody every musalli in there a few hundred musallis in there is being served ajwa dates no medjool dates right ajwa dates it just tells you where our community is i really want to get you to understand where you are because shaitan shaitan is the one who warns you or makes you fear poverty makes you fear poverty and where we were 40 50 years ago and the struggles that people had to do to send money back to countries to look after people and so on the current generation doesn't need to do that the reason why you can have dessert parlors forget restaurants restaurants okay you can justify that because that's essential food items you need to eat people need to eat but you don't need desserts or that many at least right you definitely don't need to go out of your house for tea and pay three pound for a cup of tea or something like you can make that at home but people do it and there's nothing wrong with that if that, somebody wants to do business that's fine i'm not saying this is haram i'm just showing where we are with this right where our community is now how much further what's the next thing right these are new ideas you know first it was different ideas of what kinds of restaurants you can have different cuisines because people get tired they get bored they get weary of the same thing so then came desserts then it became uh, then it became uh, tea places then it became bubble tea what's next 
The only way you can get around it, the only way you can do this is if you have disposable income. Otherwise, none of these extra stores would work. You, these kind of places, these are what you would call additional tertiary, uh, auxiliary, extra luxury places that you can only patronize if you have disposable income. You don't go to these places if you have just, if you're on survival mode. What I'm trying to say is that that's why, alhamdulillah, I'm so glad that the charities are keeping up. That's how many charities there are. We have multiple charity programs. So that's a good thing that at least that may be balanced. It's just that not everybody gives to charity. There are still many people who, mashallah, live very luxury lives. So 30, 40 years ago, there might have been one person earning money. And they were looking after maybe five to ten individuals here and in some village in another country. Right? Now we have the father who's made all of that effort and he's got three, four, five children, uh, sons and daughters. Many of them are professional. And mashallah, they're all earning uh, professional salaries. So many homes are probably making salaries of between 50 to 100,000, no problem. Right? There's a lot of disposable income. I don't know if I should be revealing these secrets. It's an open secret anyway. All right? So the point what I'm trying to make here is that shaitan constantly makes us uh, fear poverty. So what I want to speak about today is that the way to give and the way to give and prepare your akhirah, because that's the real world. And one of the ways to calm the anger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to become closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is literally to give. There's a whole study, it's published as the thinking person's guide to happiness. Prince Ghazi wrote the book. And in there he argues from a verse of the Quran where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about what a mu'min and a believer is going to receive in the hereafter. It's going to be endless giving from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ata'an ghayra majdhuz, as Allah says. It will be an ata'an ghayra majdhuz. It will be a continual, non-ending giving from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That non-ending giving from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to human beings, to the believers who go to paradise, uh, a lot of it is to do with you giving, with us giving. The more we give, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives to us. We want to secure that position because that's when we really want access to all of the luxuries. The more we give, the more luxuries we get access to there. And it's going to be way beyond uh, the, the, the dessert parlors and so on of this world. It's going to be way beyond that we'd never even be able to think about. So now, this is what we need to do because I've been thinking of this for a while. Like why can people still not give even though they live in live very good lifestyles? There's a masjid close to us which was just built recently, renovated. And they need a lot of money. They said that there were taxi drivers, uh, uh, bus drivers rather, who had come and give 10,000 pounds of their savings. These are bus drivers. They're not necessarily the richest. They're decent. They came and gave 10,000. The individual said that I went to one person in London who has a portfolio of properties in London. He has such a portfolio of properties that every month, every month, he's able to buy a new property for around a 700,000 mark. That means, seven, that means about five or four or five houses of Leicester. He can buy one of those properties every month. That's 12 times 700 a year. He couldn't get a penny out of him. Why? Because it's all calculated that when I make this 700, I've got that house already on offer. I've already bid on it. I'm going to buy that. They say that the, sometimes the wealthiest ones, their money's always tied up in this world. 
What we need to do is we need to make a calculation. How much do I need? If you're a person of money, if you've got, meaning you're eating well, that's what I mean. When I say you've got money, you've got security, you've got, uh, you're eating well, you can buy the clothing you, can, you want, you've got a decent car, you've got a decent home. That means you have more than, do you know that us in England and the majority of us, mashallah, the way we live, we live literally like the top 5 to 10% of the world lifestyle. Our lifestyles, the one we have here of the majority of people sitting here, I'm assuming, is the lifestyle of the top 5 to 10% of the population of the earth. That means about 90%, at least 70% of the world live lesser lifestyles than us. Of course, among us, there's the cream, the top elite. But that's not what I'm speaking about. I'm talking about the regular lifestyle, the access we have to things is not what they have in other countries. For example, just a simple uh, example, just so that we understand. Come May, June, and the Indian mangoes will arrive. And as soon as they are about to finish, the Pakistani mangoes will come because their season starts later. And as soon as they are finishing, the Bangladeshi mangoes are now coming in. And as soon as they are finishing, the Egyptian mangoes are now coming in. I don't know if you knew that, but the Egyptian mangoes are now coming, which are half-decent mangoes, actually. And then throughout the rest of the year, you have South, uh, the South American mangoes, for whatever they're worth. Right? I was in Africa, one of the countries of Africa, a few years ago. It was their winter, which was around July. I asked for some oranges. I said, where are you going to get oranges at this time? This is not the season. In winter, this is not the season. In England, have you ever been to a supermarket and there's no oranges? You'd probably get angry, like, you got an entitlement. Why aren't there oranges? Right? Alhamdulillah. Another thing is, many other countries in the world, even prosperous nations, they go through lots of turmoil and trouble, natural disasters. We've had, and I don't know what the wisdom in this is, but we've had two of our most powerful Muslim nations just uh, in calamity in this last year. The first were the floods in Pakistan, which has literally devastated millions of people, millions of people. Pakistan is one of our very, very powerful countries. It's the only Muslim country and very few countries of the world that have an atomic power, whether that's good or bad, but whatever it is. Right? Then we have Turkey, and that's been devastated, devastation after devastation. What is going on? There's many other countries, like America. America sees its fair share of hurricanes and storms that rip through the southern uh, areas like Alabama and so on. Alhamdulillah, in England, nothing happens. We don't have floods, we don't have major storms, we don't have hurricanes, we don't have earthquakes, we don't have tsunamis. It's an island, we don't have it. I'm not asking for it. I'm not asking for it. I'm just saying that something's happening here. And inshallah, there's something happening here and it's for the good and we can be thankful, we can be shakirin. See, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions uh, something in the Quran. The Prophet has a famous hadith that many of you may have heard of, which is that the Prophet spoke about destruction, that certain communities will be destroyed and the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will come. And I think it was Aisha radiallahu and she said, Are we also going to perish? Whereas uh, we have righteous people among us. You know, we have righteous people among us. Will we still be destroyed even though there's people who may be doing dhikr and so on? And righteous people said, yes, that's still going to happen. However, there's a verse in the Quran. Somebody remind me which verse it is. Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that we are not going to destroy them. Whereas they have muslihoon in there. 
The difference between Salih and Muslim, who remembers the verse? I know you didn't expect to be tested today. It is Ramadan's coming around. So remind me when you get it, remind me. But Muslihun and Salihun. Salihun means self-righteous. I am righteous. I do my stuff. Muslihun means when you, when you are trying to reform others as well. Salihun is that I am pious myself. But Muslihun is when you're assisting others in piety. You're reforming others. You're doing your Amr al-Ma'roof and Nahi al-Munkar. We... There's something going on in England which we want to thank Allah for and we want to do more of it because the world is going through tough times and we need to assist and we need to help. So this is, what I, uh, this is something I thought about after speaking to lots of people. We need to take a budget of our, of our lifestyle and our accounts and our income. We need to, uh, because if you've never done this, you'll always think that you need more and you'll always think that I can't give. So take, a, t- take, a, take stock there you go. وَمَا كَانَ رَبُّكَ لِيُهْلِكَ الْقُرَى بِظُلْمٍ وَأَهْلُهَا مُسْلِحُونَ وَمَا كَانَ رَبُّكَ لِيُهْلِكَ الْقُرَى Your Lord is not going to destroy the inhabitations, the, the, the cities, the towns, the villages due to any oppression while the, while the inhabitants there are doing islah, while they're doing reformation work. Everybody contribute to this so that we can keep the punishment away. Everybody. Don't leave it to the scholars. Don't leave it to the charities. Every one of us. Insha'Allah. Islah. Whether that be assisting the poor. Whether that be doing the right. Whether that be teaching. Whether that be assisting in whatever way or form. Let's do Islah. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us of the Muslihin and the Salihin. Right. So... The way we do this is that we check how much our income is, our yearly income is, and how much we need to comfortably live. You know, our budget, our Amazon.com orders, our meat orders, and so on and so forth. And then we see how much we have left, and then we, we earmark a portion of that to assist. Whoever that is you're assisting, and you can spread it far and wide. If you don't take stock of that, you will never know how much you make, and how much you can give. And then you won't give because we always feel like we need to do more. Some people by their very nature are generous. Many people by their very nature, they are stingy. That's just their nature. The way to overcome that is to take stock, understand where we're going in this life, what we're facing in the hereafter and the assistance. Our dua should be in whatever case there is, Oh Allah, allow me to do what is the most beneficial in this context. For the people of Pakistan, for the people of Palestine, for the people of Syria, for the people of Turkey and every other place there is. Oh Allah, accept me, use me for the service of your deen, employ me and accept me uh, for the service of your deen. Ameen Ya Rab. So now that Ramadan is coming up. So uh, the way, uh, we, you know, we, we have lots of programs about Ramadan before Ramadan. It's a good reminder because Allah says, وَذَكِّرْ فَإِنَّ الذِّكْرَى Remind for reminders are beneficial for the believers. That's why we do it. Uh, I know I benefit from speaking about or uh, listening about Ramadan, even though we're doing, we're veterans. Right. How many people here, is there anybody here for whom it will be their first Ramadan this year? Any converts, for example, or any young children, they're going to do their first Ramadan this year. Right. Very few. Everybody's a veteran of Ramadan, so what do I tell you about it? I don't like to repeat the same old things, so to bore you, right? You say, oh, I know about that, I know about that, I know about that. So what do I speak about today? Well, the reason we speak about this is because I want to speak about, is that the purpose of Ramadan is that 
When it comes to the dunya, anything of the world, we increase every year, every two years, every month. We upgrade ourselves, right? We upgrade ourselves. Nobody stays on beta version. You know, it's always the next version, the next phone, the next car, the next model up. In fact, if you take a simple example, right? There's a, a guy who's just finished college or university. He's going to get his first job. He's gone for an interview. When he, when he needs to go for that interview, he needs to look formal, so he needs a suit, a blazer maybe. He will go and get the, any blazer, whether that be from Primark. I'm not putting down Primark, but maybe that's where he'll go first because he doesn't have much money. He might be go to Asda George, right, and just buy a, just look to look formal. As they go up in the world, he gets a job, and then after that, he gets another job. Eventually, he probably will never wear a blazer from some companies. It'll have to be Canali, Giorgio Armani, and Gucci, and, and so on and so forth. We upgrade in everything. Everybody is a go those of you who eat out a lot, you know exactly where to go, what's good food and what's bad food, and this place, and your critics of food. Everybody can start a blog. It's just some people, most people choose not to. Everybody starts a blog. There's so many blogs out there. Right? Because when it comes to the dunya, even jubbas, the first jubba, your first phone, give a 15, 16 year old kid gets his first phone, it doesn't matter what phone it is. I've got a phone, I'm excited. Your first car, it doesn't matter what car that is. A banger car, I've got a car, I've got wheels, I can go somewhere with it. But then you become more discriminatory, you become more refined in your tastes. All right? You become more particular. But when it comes to our deen, it's the same all. Let me give you an example. Somebody in India, in Pakistan, in Bangladesh, for example, and they want to come to London, they want to come to England. They call it London. Like, where are you from? I'm, fr uh, I'm from uh, London. Proper London. I was like, Ekaj London chair. There is only one London. It's like, proper London ke Leicester. I said, no, no, London, Ekaj London chair. Right? But anyway, what I, what I want to say is that, let's just say there's somebody in, in Silet or in Gujarat and he still wants to come London. To be honest, he doesn't care where in London he comes. I just want to get to London. Just drop me at some coast. I'm in London then. Right? I don't care where. I just want to be in London because they've been to South Africa. They've been to Portugal. They're trying to get into London. Doesn't matter where. Is that our relationship with paradise? But Jannat, I've heard of Jannat. I want to go there. I've got this generalized understanding of Jannah. But I really don't know any of the stages of Jannah. I've never read a review of Jannah. I just want to get there somehow. But is our... Is our decision and earnest desire for Jannah the same as this individual's earnest desire to get to London? How do you compare the two? Who do you think has a more intense desire to get to London or get to Jannah? We'll leave that to each individual to decide. right? So if you want to get to Jannah and you want to get to Allah, then you need to read reviews. Right? How many of us had ever read a review of Allah? You're going to think this is blasphemous. Like, what is this guy talking about? How do you read a review of Allah? Well, yes. Have you read a review of Allah? When you, buy, you want a new product, you want to get something new, you read things about it, you read reviews, you ask other people about these things. What have you read about Allah to learn more about Allah so that, as Allah says in the Quran, The people who believe, they are most intense in their love for Allah. They're most intense, ardent in their love for Allah. If we're not, then why, is, why aren't we? Because we don't know Allah. Allah is such an entity that the more you know about Him, the more you have to love Him. You can't help it. 
Our job is just to find out more and to read more about Allah and that is how we'll find it. That is how we will love Him more. Our job is just to read more and then you can just love because love, the way love works, right? The, the, the philosophy of love is that you, you, love means to incline towards beauty. That's what love means, to incline towards beauty. What does beauty mean? Beauty means balance, proportion, equilibrium and perfection. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is totally perfect. What you incline towards when you love something, like if you think that you love a certain car or a certain individual and you want to get, why do you think that you need to be, uh, why do you think you're in love with them? Because you've discovered few qualities in them which blind you from any defects. With Allah and His Messenger وسلم, there's only perfection and only good qualities. So the more qualities that we learn about, the more it will attract us to it. If I'm looking for a car and I've got three or four possibilities, eventually my choice will be one particular one based on the fact that it has more qualities, more gimmicks, more spec and uh, price range, etc. compared to the others. That's why finally I'll get that car. I was looking for a car and I didn't even know it existed. That particular model, I didn't know it existed. After I started looking for it, I started noticing seeing it everywhere, everywhere. What happened? Did they just suddenly flood the, flood the streets with them? No, they were always there. It's just I was ignorant of them. But now that I've noticed it, I find it everywhere. I see them everywhere. That's why we don't feel the presence of Allah everywhere. That's why our fasts, Ramadan will go. We will do Hajj, which are both actual activities of love. When a person loves Allah, we, if you pray five times a day, then at least, you, at least we love Allah enough that we are able to get away from everything else, all the busy aspects of our life, and come back to Allah five times a day. That is proof that we love Allah. Otherwise, why else would we be? Now, yes, some people say, I don't want to be punished, or I want paradise. That's why. But that's still related to Allah. It's still a good thing. If you pray once a week on Friday, well, at least you've got that much. You need to increase it to five times a day. Now, once you've increased it to five times a day, then comes Ramadan. Ramadan is fasting. That's the main aspect of Ramadan. Fasting is a non-action. You know, when you fast, you don't do something. We actually abstain from something. We abstain from food, drinking, uh, and, and relationship with the, with the spouse, right? Which are usually halal things, but we abstain from dawn to sun sunset. Why do we do that? Why would you stay hungry? In fact, if you didn't do this for Allah, we can say you do it for Allah. Because if you didn't do it for Allah, then you'd eat in secret and just show people that I'm really, really hungry. But the fact that you'd, you'd actually do it, you actually stay hungry, means that there's some connection with Allah. And then that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, regards to fasting, as opposed to all the other acts, that all the other acts, the, shape, the, the angels, uh, have a score sheet uh, to, uh, to reward us for uh, the, the base reward for each action, salat and hajj and so on, with, along with the bonuses, this, de depending on how much we've uh, uh, put an effort into it and so on. When it comes to fasting, Allah says, li wa ana That fasting is for me, it can't be for anybody else. I will directly reward. And when Allah gives a reward, it's in heaps. Because, I mean, just a simple example from that, right? Have you ever thought about it? That every fard which we have to do anyway, Allah says, I'm going to give you 70 rewards for that. No generous person gives that much in the world. 
If there's a store, they'll give you buy one, get one free, or two free maybe. And if it's closing down, I'll say, look, buy one and take five free. But who gives you 73? That's just crazy. Only Allah can do that. Only Allah can do that. He just maximizes it in Ramadan. That's why Sheikh Ahmed Sarhindi, Mujaddid al-Fathani, as we know him, um, about 400 years ago, he said that every moment in Ramadan, like every second, every minute of Ramadan, is so valuable because Allah has concentrated into it so much value, barakah, blessing, mercies, and so on, that you can't find that in any other time. Now, you may have heard there's a hadith in which the Prophet said that whoever misses a fast in Ramadan, you know, for no valid excuse, they miss a fast in Ramadan. Somebody said, I've got a very, very important business meeting with a very important client. I have to take him out for lunch and I can't be seen as not eating. That's the wrong way of thinking. You can definitely take someone out and say, I'm not eating because I'm on a special diet. And people respect diets nowadays. Like, you, you know, you'd be quite cool and savvy if you said, I'm on a diet. Right? So you can be very proud of that fact and say, look, sorry, I'm not eating. Oh, I don't drink wine. I don't drink that stuff because it's very harmful for you. You have to be proud. You don't have to say, oh, I'm a Muslim, so I can't drink. That's the wrong way to approach it. Right? If you're ever in that context, you have to be proud of what you are. You have to believe in it. Right? So, or you've got a special football match that day, so you just think, I'll fast later. I'm not breaking it. I'm just not fasting today. As though that's any better, right? Then the person felt bad after Ramadan. Ramadan finished, the pe person felt bad, and he decided, I'm going to fast literally every single day outside of Ramadan. The hadith says that he can't make up for that one fast he missed of the reward. That's how concentrated this reward is. That's why as Ramadan is around the corner, Ramadan is an act of love. You stay hungry for the sake of Allah. But this is what we miss because we're constantly focusing on just doing things. But really, Ramadan is a time to get closer to Allah by staying hungry for the sake of Allah. You can only stay hungry for your beloved. Why would you stay hungry for anybody else unless they were, I mean, unless they were paying you for it? And I guess Allah is paying us for it. But really, it should be for the love of Allah. That's what it should be. And that's why they say that if somebody is really successful in Ramadan for staying hungry for the sake of Allah, and every time that they feel hungry or thirsty or weary, or tired, I'm doing this for Allah. I think if we're going to do something new this Ramadan, if you're not doing it already, is that try to think of Allah as much as possible when you are fasting and when you are standing. The hadith of the Prophet Man saama Ramadan iman and wahdi saban, ghufira lahu ma taqaddama min dhambi. And the other hadith is Man qama Ramadan iman and wahdi saban, ghufira lahu ma taqaddama min dhambi. Whoever fasts the month of Ramadan, with faith, not because everybody does it, and I'd be proper bear sharam if I don't fast, right? As they say, right? Like because everybody fasts, I fast as well, right? So whoever fasts with iman and with ihtisab, ihtisab in Arabic means where you where you are literally calculating or anticipating something from Allah, and that is open to you. I'm anticip and anticipating that Allah. Bring me close. Allah loves me. Allah makes me love him. Allah blesses me. Allah raises me. Whatever you want in that. When is that going to happen? If we're not conscious of our fast. They say that anybody who fasts like that, all of their previous sins are forgotten, are forgiven. So you can actually come out of Ramadan like the day our mothers gave us birth. By just that thought process, that consciousness. That's, I think, from a lot of people, we do it as a ritual, but we want to do it as a heartfelt sentiment. The other one is 
whoever stands in the nights of Ramadan with Iman and anticipation from Allah, all of their previous sins are forgiven. Again, the same thing there. When you're standing in Taraweeh and mashallah, Imam Sahib is taking his time. Right? So instead of cursing and swearing between the four rakats and afterwards and having a big conversation about that, just think, man, this is for Allah. I know He's going to reward me. I can only do this for Allah. I can only do this for Allah. You know, once you start thinking like that, all of this becomes easy. It becomes an act of love as opposed to a toil, as opposed to just a tough, rigorous act. And the same thing if you stand for tahajjud, right? You stand for tahajjud and it's tough because you have to, we just came back from taraweeh late. The nights were short now, alhamdulillah, they're getting longer. It's ihtisab, ihtisab, ihtisab. So this Ramadan needs to be better than any Ramadan before it. We need to get closer in this Ramadan than we've ever been before to Allah because that's the purpose of Ramadan. Let us not forget that because Ramadan is a month of love. It's a month of generosity. And Allah is giving us everything in this month. He closes the doors of hellfire. He opens the doors of paradise. He locks up the shaitan. Come on, what else do you want? He gives so much blessing and barakah that it's amazing how, mashallah, our women, they're able to cook things they never cook throughout the year. Like it's absolutely amazing how that barakah of time and effort and so on come about, right? What is the Ramadan preparation? Like we've made our samosas and whatever and we put them in the freezer. Right, all ready for Ramadan. It's ajeeb how much barakah. Can you, you know how much money is spent in Ramadan? How much food is fed in Ramadan? How many charities? This is their, this is their time for collecting Ramadan. Every night, every day, how much is being given? Why? Because generosity from Allah. Allah is extremely generous. And it says in a hadith in the Shamail that the Prophet was that it's most generous in, the law, in, in Ramadan. In Ramadan, when he used to meet with Jibreel. Generosity, you can feel it. You actually feel much better in Ramadan. Have you noticed that you will never feel like doing a new sin in Ramadan? Shaitan is locked up. Okay, we still, people still sin in Ramadan. But I want you to think, if you've not thought about this, this Ramadan comes up, think that if you are committing or feel like committing a sin, it will usually be a habitual sin. You're hardly ever going to think of doing a new sin in Ramadan. Why not? Because shaitan's out of the picture. Shaitan makes us do all sorts of sins. Unless you've got a friend who's a shaitan. Right? The shaitan al-ins, then, then you're in big trouble. Allah Ta'ala protect us. But otherwise, you don't, get, you don't get a whisper of a new sin. If you still feel like sinning in Ramadan, it's just a habit. You still feel like smoking because you've got a habit. That's what it is. Alright? And that is related to the nafs. And that's the message of Ramadan, that Allah wants us to stop eating, drinking, and relationship, which are usually halal at other times, and they're also halal in the evening, for that time, so that we can just train our nafs. How do we train our nafs? Uh, who has a habit of having a cup of coffee or tea at about 10 o'clock in the morning, after their breakfast, you know, they go to work and then they feel a bit low, right? And then you're like, I need a coffee because I'm feeling tired now, right? To boost myself. A lot of people have coffee. Come Ramadan, first day of Ramadan, about 10 o'clock in the morning, you're going to start feeling like that. And you go to the coffee maker and you remember that I'm fasting. I can't have a coffee. Your nafs is asking, you're gonna, your nafs is going to protest. No, I can't work. I can't think straight. I'm tired, I'm going to fall sleepy, I can't be productive. No, you can't have it. Give it two, three days and eventually your nafs will stop asking you. The, the, the ego stops asking, you get, it falls into submission. That's the beauty of the human ability that we can uh, force our nafs into submission. If we can force our nafs into submission, 
subhanallah, for, for against halal things, then it should be much easier to force it into submission from haram things. Right? From haram things. And that's the purpose. Only when we can do that, when we can control ourselves and not just release it in whatever it wants, can we actually become closer to Allah and develop taqwa. That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that, O oh, people who believe fasting has been prescribed upon you, as it was on the people before you, so that you can gain taqwa. Taqwa essentially is consciousness of Allah. And the reason we are never conscious of Allah as to what He's doing, I can witness Him, I'm thinking about Him, is because we just allow our, we release our nafs in pursuance with whatever it wants, at whatever time it wants. Uh, Umar radiallahu anhu, he saw a man, and he had something in his hand, a packet in his hand. He said, what is that? He said, Oh, this is some meat, I desired it, so I purchased it. Right? I desired it, so I purchased it. I felt like having some meat, so I went and bought it. Anything wrong with that? I felt like having a cup of chai, so I went and had some. Anything wrong with that? I felt like having a milkshake, a waffle, so I went and had it. So, I don't know, there shouldn't be anything wrong with that. Umar said, Like everything you desire, you just go and buy. Everything you desire, you just buy. Saying that, do you have some, he's not prohibiting him, he's just saying that you have some control of your nafs. Like, buy with measure, indulge with measure. But don't do israf. Don't do it with abandon. Otherwise, you forget the hereafter. That's why, that's what Tawar Ramadan, many people go for hajj. Same thing, many people go for hajj. They go around the Kaaba seven times. They have no idea why they go, go around. They just go around. Am I going in the right direction? Am I reading the right things? But really, why would you go around seven times around the Kaaba? Like, what'd you get out of that? Is it a bit of exercise? Because you guys don't exercise at home. So Allah says, come and at least do a few laps. And now the guys in Makkah, they're saying that you better do it in the masjid. So it takes four times that amount. You can't go into the mataf unless you've got a ihram on because the purpose is exercise. No. The purpose is that when you love someone, then you're willing to do many things for that, for that individual. Your love intensifies, so you're remembering them multiple times a day, so you remember Allah at least five times a day. And then there's times when we have to stay hungry for our beloved because that's what they want. And then after that, when humans get in love, they want to be close to their beloved. So Allah says, okay, fine, come to my house. This is as close as you're going to get. So you go there, says, okay, now I want you to go around. Because if you can't get inside, then at least you can go around the area of your beloved. Everything related to your beloved, you see your beloved's car and you're like, wow, that reminds you. People go crazy in love that they look at the moon and they think my beloved must be looking at the moon. So that's why I'm looking at the moon and they make a connection like that. Love is crazy, right? Love is extremely, extremely powerful. So we go there, Allah says, go around out of love. Hassan Basri rahimahullah saw, uh, heard a younger woman uh, doing some love poetry. And he told her off, he thought that she's talking to a boyfriend. Like, because it was a stereotype, you could say. He stereotyped her. And she just turned around and says, what do you understand? Do you know who I'm speaking to? She was speaking to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now what happens is that when humans get very close, they eventually want to hug. You want to be together. That's human reality. It's just human nature that you want to hug, you want to kiss. Allah gives us the ability at the multazam. Prophet went there, put his chest there and his cheek there and he cried out. And believe me, that is definitely the one place where there's such a power in that place. If you can get there, if you can get there, there's such a power there. 
that you can you feel so close to Allah and whatever du'as you make there usually from my experience of many people it gets accepted pretty much straight away and then you still want more closeness so Allah says okay fine we'll let you kiss the black stone that's the only thing that you can kiss that we've allowed you to kiss because kissing is a human expression of love that they have a longing for that so fine go and kiss the black stone these are all expressions of love, but we're missing that dimension maybe because we're looking at it too realistic, uh, ritualistically. Let this Ramadan be different to every Ramadan of the past. We want to take stock and say that, how was my last Ramadan? This one is no longer going to be the off-the-shelf, no-frills package of Ramadan that I've been doing for the last 20 years. I'm going to better it this year. Of course, unless, mashallah, you're doing the ultimate package of Ramadan and you can do no better. But most of us can do better. That's why final points is let us take stock of what we did last Ramadan, what kind of sadaqat we gave, charity, what kind of Quran we recited, what kind of du'as we made, and, and, and Quran we read and so on. And let's see and plan to do better than that this Ramadan. And most thing is I want to know Allah by the end of this one. I want my connection to Allah increase. So if I was a 5 out of 10 before Ramadan, when I end Ramadan, it's going to be 8 or 9 out of that. And I don't want it on the day of Eid to fall back to 5. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless all of you here. Uh, our Lester brothers and sisters, absolute pleasure to be with you. And uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward these brothers and sisters who are doing this work. This Al-I'ana Foundation, may Allah assist the assisters. May Allah assist the Al-I'ana Foundation, and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept us all for the service of His deen. Right? May Allah accept us all for some kind of service of His deen and to make us of the muslihin, of the reformers, so we can continue to keep away the punishment and even more punishment is kept away. The point of a lecture is to encourage people to act, to get further, an inspiration, an encouragement, persuasion, the next step is to actually start learning seriously, to read books, to take on a subject of Islam and to understand all the subjects of Islam, at least at their basic level, so that we can become more aware of what our deen wants from us. Uh, and that's why we started uh, Rayyan courses, so that uh, you can actually take organized lectures uh, on demand whenever you have free time, especially, for example, the Islamic Essentials uh, course that we have on there, the Islamic Essentials Certificate, which you take 20 short modules and at the end of that inshallah you will have gotten the, the basics of uh, most of the most important topics in Islam and you'll feel a lot more confident. You don't have to leave lectures behind, you can continue to, leave, uh, you know, to listen to lectures but you need to have this more sustained study as well. Jazakallah khair and assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.